0: everybody my name is Lacey um I don't know most of you because I like to hide in the back when I come to church but (laughs) I've been coming to Awaken for on and off about a year now and yeah it's been a wonderful place for me to recover from some church trauma and (laughs) listen to some good preaching and slowly get to meet some people so um kind of died on the inside a little when Nikayla asked me to preach not gonna lie little bit terrified. So, bear with me. But, yeah, uh, Nikayla got me to work on the Parable of the Leaven, which I'm going to read in just a moment. But the way I've kind of structured my thinking today is around asking questions, because I ask a lot of questions. Um, and I kind of end up tending to cre- question everything. Um, especially when it comes to things I don't understand in the Bible. So Matthew thirteen thirty three says, Similar to the kingdom of heaven is leaven that a woman taking hid in three measures of flour until was leavened all. I'm just going to open in prayer, and then we're going to dive right in. Uh, Father God, we just are so grateful we get to come together today, and we get to look at your word, and we get to maybe learn something new, maybe think about things in a new way. God, I just pray you would um, open our our ears and our hearts to to be challenged potentially, to be to hear things in a new way. And God, I just pray you would bless this time that we have together. Amen. So similar to the kingdom of heaven is how this starts. And this kind of tells us that the parable as it was first heard meant something. Real real shocking, I know. Um, The parables, um, as they are written in the gospels, possess an interpretation to them. The gospel writers themselves add meaning and they add interpretation to what is written there. But if we think back, to before they were written down, and to a hillside or a synagogue where Jesus is sitting and just talking to the people. There's not necessarily um, this retroactive interpretation that we now have. There's not even necessarily um, the meaning that the gospel writers have imposed on them. It's not necessarily even there. And this book that Nicaela got need to read out of for a good chunk of this really focuses on what did the meaning of these parables, what did it have to the first hearers of it? Not the ones who read it, the ones who heard it. And so we have to let it speak for itself. So the parables themselves, they were meant to be provocative. Um, they were to not to give simplistic messages. Um, one interpretation of this parable that I've heard is Jesus is the yeast, and when it's added to the bread, then it permeates every area of your life. And like, yeah, that's that's kind of like a feel-good message. Like, I'm not gonna say it's wrong, but like, it's pretty easy to digest, and then you kind of forget about it and move on. But um, that's not what somebody on the side of a hill or in a synagogue would have heard when they heard these words spoken by Jesus. They wouldn't have had any concept of Jesus coming into your heart and that kind of stuff. So um, Jesus used parables to shock his listeners, to make them think, not to just pat them on the back and tell them that, yep, yeah, you accepted Jesus in your heart. You're good to go. So we need to look out for these provocative messages, especially in this parable, because we're talking about it today. So similar to the kingdom of heaven is leaven. Leaven. What is leaven? Um, usually, when I hear leaven or yeast, I'm like, oh yeah, the little little brown like jar that's in my fridge with the yellow lid, and you know, I scoop some out when I attempt to bake, which is not often. Um, that that is not what they're talking about when they talk about yeast in the Bible or leaven in the Bible. They're talking about sourdough starter. Did anybody try to make sourdough when COVID first started? Because I did. <laughs> I made a grand total of two loaves, and then I accidentally killed my starter because I'm really bad at cooking. <laughs> they were delicious loaves, however. But in this case, it's like the jar of starter that you put in an oven, and like the yeast spores that are in there start to ferment, and then it ends up sour, and that's how you make sourdough. But that's what they made. That was the leaven that they're talking about. And Um, I grew up in the church, in church circles, and how are we supposed to think about leaven? Is it good? Is it bad? What about leavened bread versus unleavened bread? And so growing up in the church, it often sounded to me like it was a symbol of corruption. It was a symbol of evil. You don't want leaven. You don't want yeast. Um, And part of that comes from the gospels themselves Um, and Paul's letters. They talk about how it... Uh, Like you don't want to have the yeast of the Pharisees. You're like yeast is bad. Okay, perfect. Um, That's like the main one that I could think of that comes from like that negative perspective. But if we jump into like other sides of bread, there's there's more to it. Um, The Lord's Prayer itself says, "Give us this day our daily bread." There's no reason to assume that's not leavened bread. There was manna in the wilderness, a type of bread that God provided endlessly for the Israelites as they wandered. Um, Unleavened bread was required, or sorry, leavened bread was required in the temple or the tabernacle on a table at all times. It was one of those offerings that always had to be there. And even when we talk about um, the Passover, which is when it is written that you're supposed to get rid of all the leaven in the camp and nobody's allowed to have any leaven. That's the very fact that that rule exists is because there's clearly leaven normally. And if it was always evil and always corrupt, then it wouldn't be allowed normally, but it is. So whenever we're talking about food, like bread, we also have to think... What does this connect to? What's the bigger picture that would have been understood in Jesus's time? And there's this Jewish idea at at this point when Jesus is alive that we're all moving towards a heavenly banquet, a final feast. Luke placed Jesus in a manger at birth. A manger is a place for food. And Jesus later says that he is, his own body is the bread. Jesus constantly meets people around food. He meets people at dinners. He meets people fasting. He meets people at wedding banquets. He eats with those that are deemed social outcasts. He calls himself the bread of life. We are nourished by bread. We are fed by it each week here at Awaken. We are invited and invite all to attend our little table of communion. And we look forward to an expanded version of this table where we can all invite and all be invited to the feasting table. So any discussion of bread, of fast, feasting, of leaven, it, it has to be thought of in the greater view of what feasting meant to the people hearing this parable. And so leaven was neither good nor bad when it was talked about. It requires that context within the story, within the parable to know whether it's being a positive thing or a negative thing. So, similar to the kingdom of heaven is leaven that a woman taking. Is it weird to have a parable uh, where the woman is kind of like one of the main characters? Like, this is a pretty patriarchal society. Like, it's probably bad that a woman's in the story, right? Uh, Stories about women have been around since literally the beginning. Hello, Eve. (laughs) Not just in the Bible too, in other creation stories external to our Bible, there's stories about women in creation at the beginning. So having a woman in the story shouldn't be a big deal. (laughs) Um, Does a woman being in the story automatically make it a story about purity laws and ritual purity? Some people tend to think so, Um, there's been this move over the last 2,000 years where a very anti-Semitic view has been taken of a lot of Jesus' teachings and some of this comes from the Bible itself um, the Pharisees are obviously seen very negatively in most of the Gospels but what is the deal like why do we always turn things back to the, how horrible the purity laws were how terrible it was that these existed Jesus came and he wiped that all out but when we actually know what the purity laws and the purity rituals are about, it's not necessarily this terrible, horrible, bad thing. Um, it was not this undue burden that the Jewish people had to endure. It was just part of everyday life. And if you became richly unclean, if you got essentially black sin goo on you, is how it was thought about, you went and you washed, and you waited till evening, and then you're good. It's not this terrible, horrible thing that happens. And archaeology has actually shown, like, it wasn't a big deal. There was bathhouses available for people everywhere. So if they become richly impure, cool, you go down the street, not a big deal. And another thing is they removed a lot of the things that were, like, bad. Things that made you unclean, pigs, for example the way that archaeologists know that a site is Jewish, there's no pig bugs, because they just didn't have them. It made them unclean, so they just didn't have them. So purity laws were in place, at least in part, so that people had a separation between the everyday practices of life and the sacred. One could not go out and participate in the miracle of birthing a baby or the heartbreak of burying a loved one and putting them to rest and then just immediately go on with their day. There's a separation. It's a big deal. Seeing a new life born, seeing a life end, it's a big deal. You don't just get to go move on with your day. And so the fact that it's a woman in the story often brings up, well, women were always um, impure. There's all these rules about women. But in reality, the amount of time that men versus women were viewed as unclean was about the same, if not men more so. Like, just facts. Nobody talks about it, but. (laughs) Um, And early Christians weren't even called Christians. They were Jews. They were a sect of Judaism. And they followed purity law. Jesus followed purity law. So, should we look at this parable and immediately think there's some greater purity message hidden behind it? I don't think so. The original hearers wouldn't have had this bad taste in their mouth about purity cult, purity laws and um, practices because it wasn't an inconvenience. It was just a part of life. So, what we can understand from this so far is that the parable is about a mystery of the kingdom of heaven that somehow involves a bunch of sourdough starter and a woman in a kitchen baking. Similar to the kingdom of heaven is leaven that a woman taking hid. She didn't mix it. Um, a lot of translations uh, say that she mixed it into the flour, but that's not actually the Greek term for it. Um, she hid it in the flour. The version, um, This version of the word hid comes from the Greek word encrypto. Think encryption. And it's not so much that it's like being buried in a ditch and you hope nobody ever finds it. It's like it's hidden and it's supposed to be revealed. Um, It's something mysterious and something exciting that has to be revealed in in some way. And this is the way that the leaven was hidden in the flower. Um, another way that this, this same term is used in, in, is in Matthew eleven twenty five. 25. Uh, at that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. It's this thing where it's hidden from some people and some people get to learn it and then they want to share it. It's an unexpected surprise. Jesus revealed miracles that were waiting to be uncovered and explained. For some reason... The woman is hiding the leaven, but it will be revealed and lead to something unexpected and something wonderful. Similar to the kingdom of heaven is leaven that a woman taking hid in three measures of flour until was leavened all. Is the amount of flour relevant? Not very spatially, quantitatively minded. So like I know how much a cup is because I have a measuring cup that says one cup, but like you say one liter or one gallon or I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, the struggle is real. Three measures is not three cups. Uh, it's more like 40 to 60 pounds of flour. That's a lot of flour. That's like a lot of flour. <laughs> um, where else where do we find? three measures of flour being referenced in the Old Testament. Great question. If we look back into the beginning, we go all the way back to Genesis 18, um, we find this weird story with Abraham. I'm just going to read the whole thing because it's a fun story. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them, bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you've come to your servant. So they said, Do as you've said. And Abraham hastened to the tent with Sarah and said, Make ready quickly three measures of choice flour knead it and make it into cakes abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it he then took curds and milk and the calf that he'd prepared and set it before them and he stood with them under the tree while they ate they said to him where's your wife sarah and he said there in the tent then one said i will surely return to you in due season and your wife sarah shall have a son And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I've grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, (laughs) I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, oh, yes, you did laugh. First off, let me bring you a little bread. Hey, Sarah, can you cook up 40 to 60 pounds of flour into cake, please? (laughs) Okay, Abraham. Um, the word used here for cakes is encryptasis. Ooh, three measures of flour and the same root word. I see a connection here. Um, essentially this word just means like cakes baked under hot rocks, but like the root word for some reason is connected. So, what joyous, wonderful, unexpected thing is to be discovered because of these cakes that Sarah makes from 40 to 60 pounds of flour. She laughs at the notion of having pleasure. She does not expect that a child can be born in her old age, but only three chapters later, she's given a son. Other references to three measures of flour, there's two other ones that are found in the Old Testament. Um, In the story of Hannah in 1 Samuel, she is crying at the temple, and the priest is like, go home, you're drunk. She's like, no, I'm praying. And he's like, oh, okay, you're going to get what you want. And she gets... She gives birth to a son, and she goes and she dedicates him. And with that, she takes an ephah of flour, which doesn't sound like three measures, but an ephah, single ephah is three measures of flour. And the third reference is in Judges 6, where Gideon makes um, unleavened bread from one ephah of flour as, a, as an offering as he has to rush off to fight um, in a war. And kind of all three of these stories have hints of small beginnings bringing about large results making bread for sarah praying earnestly for hannah being the smallest and weakest called into battle for gideon three measures of flour is not a small amount of flour it's far too much for one woman to need it's far too much for one person to eat it's here we have this connection between the kingdom of heaven being like this huge batch of dough and the story of Abraham asking his wife Sarah to make a huge amount of bread for the three visitors. The amount of flour to me produces images of extravagance, food in abundance. It reminds me of Jesus feeding thousands and then again feeding thousands, um, providing astronomical amounts of wine at a wedding in Cana, of, God, of a God not known for scarcity, but of a God who's more known for being a God of more than enough. So with all of this information, what do we find in this weird parable that is a single verse long? Um, Amy Jill Levine, who wrote this incredible book that I highly recommend you go read, um, called Short Stories by Jesus, proposes quite a few different options. Um, Should we see the everyday, the simple household goods, the negative or the neutral things as spiritual possibilities. All that is presented by Jesus is that there's bread. And the bread is like the kingdom of heaven. He also says the kingdom of heaven is a mustard seed. It's a pearl. It's a wedding feast. It's a banquet. It's something found by kings, but it's something found by shepherds. Something found by those who are seen as insignificant or something that is insignificant. Or is it insignificant? Does this parable ask us to think about the women in antiquity who baked in kitchens and kneaded the bread together and worked as a family, as a community to provide bread for their families? Or perhaps is it, is it to force us to look at women's bodies differently? Previous to Jesus' time, women's bodies were seen as fields that got plowed and then they grew things. Uh, slowly around Jesus' time, they began to be seen as ovens. She has a bun in the oven. That comes from then. (laughs) But the stories of both Hannah and Sarah involve unexpected, miraculous, mysterious pregnancies. Like dough carefully prepared or like a child growing in the womb, the kingdom will come. Will the kingdom come if we nurture it slowly and carefully like that? Or perhaps the enormous yield that comes from 40 to 60 pounds of flour is telling us that we should look to be extravagant and generous beyond comprehension even if it seems wasteful or if people think it's ridiculous. Being generous and inviting three random strangers to lunch. Baking bread for the whole community. Setting up a common cupboard that stocks food for those in need. Asking no question in return. Finally, this is the last paragraph of this chapter, and I couldn't summarize it as eloquently as she did. Or finally, perhaps, the parable tells us that despite all of our images of golden slippers and harps and halos, the kingdom is present at the communal oven of a Galilean village where everyone has had enough to eat. It is present in everything, and it is available to all. From the sourdough starter to the rain and the sunshine, it is something that works its way through all of our lives and we realize its importance only when we do not have it. To clean out the old leaven allows us to make room for the new, to start again, and to feast. Or perhaps the parable is about something else entirely.